My grandparents have a bunch of stuff that they are looking to uh, leave to people uh, before they pass away. It's a, it's, a, it's a kind gesture, and they sure do have a lot of it. But there is a problem. Uh, none of us want any of it. It's not that it's bad. It's actually probably more that it's good. It's made out of like wood and lots of it's hand carved and it's, it's old and I have ancestors who built it. But like it, it's not very mobile and it's really large and it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the stuff that I own. Uh, I'm sure that one day again, like, you know, the cycles of fashion, it'll come back. But I'm not sure if I want this huge, heavy piece of furniture sitting around so I can be on trend when I'm 70. So they're having a lot of problems actually getting rid of all this stuff that they've gotten. It's causing them a lot of anxiety and frustration. They're upset about it. Because all these things, they've got memories attached to them. There was happiness and sadness and excitement and family events that are attached to all of those things. But right now, it looks like it's all going to end up in the dump. It looks like all of these cherished items are going to be treated with about the same level of respect that might be given to uh, a banana peel. They've got this, this four-poster bed made of oak, hand-carved by some ancestor of mine or another, and it's going to be treated the same way as the napkin from last night's rotisserie chicken. It's got the same destination. Now, even if I took out of guilt or something like one of these enormous objects, ultimately it's still going to the same place. Most of its existence is going to be spent as trash. It was only ever going to be temporary. And that can give us kind of a sick feeling. It's giving my grandparents a sick feeling right now, but it can do the same to me and I think to all of us when we think about everything. This pulpit has exactly the same destination. It's bound for the trap sheep. That beautiful triptych which Bill Bukowski sunk his skill and his time and his money and his efforts into creating is bound for the trash heap, everything is. Elsa's Nordic chandeliers of death have the same destination. Bethany itself, the entire university, has its, the same destination. I am a communication scholar. The whole field is going to evaporate, is going to burn and amount to nothing. The city of Mankato, all of its history and contributions, gone. Minnesota, all of its history and contributions, gone. The United States, the landmass that the United States sits on. The entire planet. Jupiter, Alpha Centauri, the entire unfashionable end of the spiral arm of the galaxy is all doomed. It's all going to burn. One of the best video games I have ever played is a game called Outer Wilds. Not to be confused with Out of, uh, Outer Worlds, which is like sort of meh, but Outer Wilds, definitely excellent one. It starts 22 minutes 
before the sun explodes. And, and as you're playing, one of the characters in the game is sitting there watching the stars in the sky blow up, and he says, isn't it just my luck to have been born at the end of the universe? That is where we sit. We have all been born at the end of the universe. How can we possibly cope with the knowledge that everything that we see, everything around us, will be ash. And if God wills it, even those ashes will cease to be. Paul's addressing exactly this human conundrum in his first letter that he sends to the church at Thessalonica. This is one of the oldest epistles uh, that, it, that there is. And so it addresses some of these very primal, visceral uh, types of human experiences. This is how he ends the book. It comes right after a section on how Christians regard death differently because we know that death isn't the end. And so when we have loved ones who pass away, we don't mourn in the same way that everybody else does. Well, that's well and good. But what about how a Christian faces the end, the closing of the book and the end of all things? Paul paints a picture here of a thief, but it's the most epic thief ever, a thief who is going to make off with everything. And here's what he writes in the fifth chapter of his epistle to the church at Thessalonica, the first one, beginning at verse 1. It says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write, for you, write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say, Peace, and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you like a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober for those who sleep sleep at night, and those who are drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other, and edify one another, just as you are also are doing. So we're given two options. There are two kinds of people who this thief encounters. He encounters children of the night, and he encounters children of the day. The people who, the children of the night, are found in two different states. Some of them are asleep. They are blissfully unaware. They're also supremely vulnerable. There's not much you can do if there's a thief in your house and you are sleeping. They feel safe, but of course that feeling of safety is completely an illusion. This whole idea of peace and safety is fundamentally ridiculous when you consider the ultimate fate of all things. 
And the world really pushes this idea. It intrudes persistently and it says, no, this thing is important. This political stance matters or this conflict is one that has to be fought and won or this object is something that you must have. These are things that really do matter. Maybe there's a lot that doesn't matter, but this thing actually does. It keeps trying to sell us on that idea when we know they're all destined for nothing. The other way that the thief comes upon people in the night is drunk. This is kind of a persistent idea that's lasted for millennia now. This idea, well, you've only got so much time, you've only got one life, make sure that you live it and live it to your fullest. Uh, my generation, the millennials, had a term for it. We called it YOLO. Gen Z, you can sigh, but you will look back on these days with the same uh, <laughs> regrets for terminology. This idea, YOLO, you only live once. This idea, you've got this limited amount of time. Make sure that you have as much fun in it as you possibly can. Hey, if we use up a bunch of this stuff, the thief will have less to, talk, uh, to take away from us. The, the fundamental idea is we know that there's this horrible thing out there. And it's coming and it's inevitable. So distract ourselves for as long as possible. Again, a fundamentally ridiculous idea. It's like, it's like driving off a cliff, and then as you're plummeting towards the ground, you change the radio station looking for something better to listen to on the way. We are headed, how do, how do we distract ourselves when the rock that we are riding on, hurtling through space, is burning underneath us? And of course, the whole situation is made worse by knowing that we are the ones who set it on this path to destruction. It was made perfect. Perfect stuff lasts forever. Perfect stuff persists. And by our sin, thanks to us, everything in creation is touched by error, is touched by sin, and will now decay away to nothing. The thief comes and takes everything away. But there's another way that the thief arrives, not to the children of the night who are asleep or drunk, but during the day, when a thief comes by day, the circumstances are completely different. There, he finds the person awake and alert and waiting for him. But even beyond that, the person's not just waiting there to say hi. They are clad from head down in armor. The thief is not walking away with anything of value from that person. A moment ago, we said that perfect stuff does not decay. That's definitional, right? Anything that breaks could have been made sturdier. Anything that's perfect is utterly indestructible. It doesn't burn. Perfect stuff is the exception to the everything ends rule. Now look at the armor that the children of light get clad in in our verses. Put on, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, armor that covers our heart. And as a helmet, the hope of salvation, armor that covers our minds. Christ is the light of day. 
He is the light by which we see. He is what makes us children of the day. Everything in the cosmos is bound for destruction, but not every one. Once, we were certainly part of everything. We were a part of that doom that everything would burn, just like the rock that we are doomed to ride on. But Jesus has armored us in himself. He has armored us in his perfection. And because of that, we're indestructible. Jesus has proved just how indestructible he is. He proved it when he was on the cross. While he was there, he took on every sin that you have ever committed, every sin that I have ever committed, every sin that has ever been committed. And God directed at him the wrath that unmakes the universe, the anger and power that destroys galaxies, was directed at Jesus and three days later, he walked out of his tomb. The only marks that he had for the encounter were just reminders for us that he went through all of that on our behalf. He went through all of that to expend God's anger towards sin and clad us in his righteousness. His blood is the sacrifice that gets between us and the fate that everything else has. Knowledge of this is the helmet that we wear and allows us to think clearly about the ultimate state of the world and the value of the things that it contains. By faith, the thief can't have me. By faith, the thief can't have my children or my wife or my friends, or my pupils, everything will pass away. But with Jesus, not every one. When the last day comes, it might arrive at a time unknown, but it won't be unexpected. And as we ascend and leave behind the burning remnants of the prison that we have occupied for our entire lives, we will finally discover our home with God, with our loved ones, with an inheritance of indestructible perfection that moth and rust do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Lord God, as we contemplate the end of all things, we also meditate on the incredible love you have shown to us, the same people who doomed it all to destruction. Armor our hearts with faith to receive forgiveness for what we have done and love to show for our fellow refugees in a failing world. Armor our minds with the certain knowledge of the inheritance you have procured for us that we may regard this world as children of the light. We pray in the name of your Son, the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Amen.